Hi, I'm Brian Hagman, and joining me today is Doran Myersdorf, founder and CEO of StoreDot. Welcome. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for joining me today. So I guess to kick things off, um, do you mind maybe sharing a quick overview of StoreDot, maybe who you guys are, what you do, that sort of thing? Sure. Uh, StoreDot is a 10 years old startup out of Israel. Uh, we are focused on uh, also developing but manufacturing of uh, fast charging batteries for mm -hmm. electric vehicles. Uh, so we work with the larger, uh, largest uh, car companies in the world. There are, some of them are also our investors. And this is a long-term effort. We've been uh, working on this the last decade, basically. Yeah. So, so your, your batteries are for specifically EVs. Is it for the light vehicle market, heavy duty market, everything? What's it, what's your, I guess your target customer? So we are starting with the sedan. Um, but. Uh, in the larger vehicles first, like the C and D models as opposed to the A and, A and B, uh, 80 kilowatt hour roughly. Uh, this is our, our range where we, where we first believe that it would be the most value proposition is to charge those vehicles in minutes as opposed to hours. Sure. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you too. So you all made headlines here recently with some news about very positive test results from many, I guess, over the last year, you, your batteries have been being tried, tested with many OEMs across the globe. So can you speak to that about, the, I guess, the results you guys yeah, have seen? Yeah, precise 15 car makers, yes. Uh, yeah, so, you know, we started uh, sending about a year ago uh, these uh, samples. These are 30 amp hour cells. These are pouch cells that uh, we call them the A samples because they are still in not in the form factor that would go uh, necessarily into the vehicle. Um, and the idea was to show that what was considered impossible to do, which is to charge a lithium-ion battery in minutes, uh, is actually possible. Uh, and uh, this was the goal. And, you know, you know, if you take a normal battery that is based on graphite in the anode, uh, you cannot even charge it once in minutes, right? Because it may explode or it's just not designed for that. So we are replacing the graphite with silicon, which has much better uh, diffusion of the lithium ions into the anode. And, um, and we've shown that with the right configuration, this also requires a new electrolyte and a new cathode, many things, but the, the most, I'd say 80% of the innovation is in the uh, ability to replace the active material where the ions are being stored replacing uh, the traditional graphite with uh, nano particles of silicon. Uh, and, and we were able to show that it, you can actually do it for a thousand times and even more consecutively. Meaning every time you want to charge, you charge in minutes. So the experience is exactly like fueling. You go into, instead of a fueling station, you go into a charging station. That, that, that was our, our goal. Wow. So this, this, this could be a game changer, obviously, for, cause that's, you know, from a EV, from a, an EV ownership perspective, you know, one of the hurdles obviously has been the charging, whether it's the range anxiety issue with finding chargers or just the, you know, being able yeah, to charge. Now it's the charging anxiety. It used to yeah. be range anxiety. Now yeah. it's charging anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So do you all, um, from a, you know, you're in testing phase currently. So when do you expect to be able to, 
get the batteries actually in production for use or for mass mass production so yeah so this industry as as you know and, and our, our audience probably knows this as well uh, takes a long time of a cycle to design a new vehicle and to in integrate a new technology and this is because of uh, you know the safety considerations and and the uh, you know traditionally this is a very conservative uh, industry the automotive as a whole and now that everybody is moving to electrification, there's a lot of, uh, I would say, caution in introducing something that, you know, may ex uh, explode or something might happen. So, uh, so the sequence of events is that uh, you're going through the A samples of the cells, what we are doing right now. Then uh, there is the B samples, which is already at the form factor that would go into the vehicle. And then you move into the C samples, which is uh, already produced at the, uh, let's say, mass production facility that would would be the, the D samples at the mass production. So each one of these can be a whole year of these samples. Mm. Uh, so we are already, let's say, a year or two into that. So there's another two or three years to be in this process. However, we are already mass production ready because uh, we are producing in the thousands for these samples and we are also with one of our partners we are actually building vehicles uh, to test and to demonstrate so and each vehicle requires let's say a thousand uh, of our cells so we are we are producing volume but this volume is not in the millions uh, that eventually what we'll have to do but it's in the thousands uh, and, and it's happening now. So I would say, to you know, the short answer to your question, uh, we believe two years uh, we can be in mass production for, let's say, a 2026 uh, model that would be on the road. Okay. Got it. Um, now, you're talking about manufacturing. So do you consider your company more of a technology company where you're developing, or are you all also manufacturing yourself? Right. So... So both. And the reason is that, uh, you know, you cannot really easily license this technology for somebody to produce. This industry as a whole, the battery industry, doesn't have what, uh, you know, I'm familiar with uh, from the semiconductor industry, where you have a foundry like TSMC that you would bring them your design of a chip, let's say, and they would produce it for you. We, we didn't find a partner that works this way in this industry. So... We are looking for partnerships uh, that require very tight collaboration. Uh, and and uh, we are actually looking to gain uh, what we call captive capacity, meaning a capacity that is dedicated for Stordot in an existing facility, let's say like with our partner EVE Energy in China, where we produced in the last five years, uh, or uh, you know with Northvolt uh, through Volvo, or uh, with Italvolt that is still on paper, but we've signed agreements with. So the idea is to, to gain this capability to produce our own product. But we also understand that, uh, you know, when uh, somebody like Volvo needs huge volume, they would use their own uh, uh, capacity uh, through their agreements. Uh, so it can be a Volvo, a GM or, or anybody else. Uh, and and, uh, and those, uh, those type of uh, engagements would require us to be uh, a technology licensing company. So we are, we are basically preparing for for both scenarios. So you all have been you have been around for ten years. Mm -hmm. It's been a journey. 
Can you walk me through as a founder and CEO of the company? What, what have been some of the challenges, I guess, from, you know, startup to, you know, now, you know, 10 years later, still maybe not necessarily in mass production, but getting close. What have been some of the challenges you faced along the way? So I'd say the number one challenge is to really be uh, uh, on top of where the market is going. Because when we started, uh, I was talking about the smartphone. And my first investor was Samsung. And then TDK because of the ATL factories and all that. And they were very excited about the ability to charge in minutes. And we actually demonstrated it on a, on a smartphone. Uh, and then we demonstrated on a drone, on a scooter. Um, so, you know, I wasn't sure how fast the EV market would catch up. And, and so I said, you know, and, and by, by the way, most of uh, other startups said the same thing. Let's start small with uh, smaller applications. Um, at one point, I think it was like six years ago, I kind of realized that this is wrong. And... EV market is happening big time. So let's forget about, you know, all the work that we've done on the smartphone or on the drone and do only vehicles. Now that decision is difficult. First of all, because, you know, a lot of effort has been done uh, and you want to, and maybe, you know, you can actually have very short term revenue with smartphones. Um, it's also difficult because of your investors or your board, because you already kind of sold them on the story that you're going to sell to a smartphone uh, industry, and you actually showed progress on that, which was very real. But uh, I felt this would actually divert us uh, from, from the you know long-term goal of, of the electric vehicles. And also what, what I've realized that a lot of the problem in the phone uh, business was solved. Because, you know, when we started, I don't know if you remember, you know, you walked into, let's say, uh, 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 an airport. Everybody were glued to the walls with the power outlets because their phone was running out of battery. Yep. You won't see this anymore, mm -mm. right? Because the, the energy density improved and, and uh, the, the charging rates improved and everything. So, you know, going to have an, a, a nice-to-have solution for a phone as opposed to really be a market maker in an industry that is new, like in an electric vehicle that, like we said, the range and the charging anxiety is the number one barrier for adoption. So this is where you want to be as a startup. So making this pivot over the years has been uh, difficult. Uh, um, so this, this is one challenge. The other challenge is really, you know, you are facing criticism from, I would say, a hundred professors and VCs and experts that, you know, tell me that they told me, you know, go read the books in physics or, you know, this can never happen. You can never charge in minutes because of A, B, C, D. And you need to convince them that, you know, you're trying to do things differently. You know, and, and, uh, and actually, you know, I, I heard, I, I listened this morning to uh, a video clip by John Goodenough, uh, rest in peace, who just uh, passed away. He was 100 years old. Mm -hmm. One of the things that he said that caught my ears, he said, you can never expect to uh, make breakthroughs if you are doing things the same way that people did it before you. And, um, and we are trying to do it differently. The, the whole move to silicon, and by the way, we are leveraging on this Nobel Prize innovation uh, that Good Enough et al. did 
few years back. I mean, they did it like 20 years ago, but the Nobel Prize is a 2019 Nobel Prize. We basically take the same innovation and we kind of build on that innovation with the replacing the materials because fast charging was not in the uh, uh, design board, right? They were just trying to show that you can take the ions and store them. Now the question is, can you store them fast? And this is uh, uh, what we what we have done, and this was totally, you know, out of the box thinking in in, the, in when, when you compare it to where batteries were that you had to charge overnight. But even today, already people are charging in like half an hour. Mm-hmm. But we are saying even that is slow. You can charge in minutes. Mm-hmm. Wow. So going back to the investor situation, you know, that was the first thought in my mind when you started talking about switching your game plan basically from one, one segment to another, was it, was it pretty tough to, to convince them or did they kind of see the vision? So I was, I was not clear with them that I'm totally abandoning everything because I wasn't sure myself. Maybe there is a short route for revenue uh, because everybody wants to see money. Show me the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the beginning, when I first introduced it, I said, we, we'll, we'll try to do both because I believed in that at the time. But I'd say 2017, uh, let's say so five, six years ago, I kind of realized that this would be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I can bring a few million of revenue with maybe 10% of margin because this is a new, a new technology and you don't have the economies of scale. So even if people are willing to pay a little bit more, it's still too expensive for you to produce when you com- when you compete with uh, those that really make a million a day. Uh, so so it was in phases. So like phase number one, we said, okay, let's s- start working on the electric vehicle and show some revenue from the smartphones. And then a year later, I said, okay, it makes sense. And by the way, it was difficult. And what I did is what many CEOs do is that I, br- I brought like a, a a top consultant, EY, right? Say, okay, do this analysis for us and tell us what, what's right for a company uh, in our position to do. Is it right to, you know, do both or just focus on EV? And the conclusion was very clear. Do only electric vehicles. So we brought it to the board. There was discussion and, you know, actually EY presented. And, uh, and, and this was the decision to do only electric. And it was the right thing to do. Because, you know, when we're only a hundred people, you have to be very, very focused, especially if you have 15 customers uh, that are, are all eager to test your technology. And, you know, by the way, I learned that I, the, the, the experiments that are most successful is where we have people on site. Uh, and, and because, you know, this is not a normal battery. There's a way to make the connectors. There's a way to configure the cycles. There's a way to monitor the temperature. All of these are irrelevant when you slow charge. So, um, so th- this has been a, a wild ride with uh, with uh, these fifteen OEMs over the past uh, year year and a half. Since your battery is so different with different materials, and you know, fast charging, extreme fast charging. Um, have you have you seen or do you predict supply chain issues with being able to produce? The absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know this is, and this would be true to any new uh, material uh, industry and technology. Uh, we need nanoparticles of silicon, 
and this is something that the industry as a whole have not been produced not for not battery grade so was the you know in in the other industries yes you use silicon you use silicon even in creams but uh, but to to make it in in a certain size of particles certain shape and 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 uh, and some physical properties that we define and we know even how to do it in-house but it, it's just too expensive so you know we need somebody who can make I don't know 2,000 tons of, of this material so we found some partners one of them we have announced with the group 14 we have this uh, partnership that they produce for us and we are looking for for others uh, that, that can do the same uh, but at the end of the day we do rely on this supply chain to reduce the cost uh, mm. to be similar to a traditional battery because like we said, people might be willing to pay more, but you know the question is how much more for fast charging. So I want to switch gears real quick. Talk about your background. So I'm very intrigued about how you got how you got into developing batteries. So can you walk me through a little bit? Just share some, I guess maybe how you got your start as a professional, like from the very beginning, and then kind of walk your way up a little bit. Sure. So I did my PhD uh, in uh, industrial engineering and management uh, in the Technion uh, in Israel, all my, all three degrees, and uh, I even stayed a little bit as a, as a staff professor. Uh, and then I uh, I joined a consulting firm in the semiconductor world uh, in the Silicon Valley, uh, and we were like a hundred engineers. I mean, I was the first one there, but then I. We grew to 100 engineers that are doing all kinds of uh, design and, and uh, optimization of semiconductor facilities, fabs. Uh, so we worked with Intel, Motorola, uh, you know, uh, National Semiconductor at the time, and then TSMC and others in Taiwan. Uh, so this is how I started this. Uh, I'm talking about the early 90s. Uh, so I'm not that young. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, uh, I came back to Israel uh, 10 years later uh, to manage uh, a comp uh, the operations and technology of a company called M-Systems. For those who are not familiar, this, these are, this uh, is the inventor of the USB uh, flash drive, the thumb drive. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so we were the first to do that. And then SanDisk uh, bought M-Systems. So I uh, started uh, a business there of the solid state drive what we all have in our laptops today. So and this was my product. It was developed out of Israel, but uh, half of the team was in California. Uh, and we developed uh, basically the controller and the flash memory uh, that would emulate exactly how the rotating hard drive is working and we'll do it 10 times faster. Uh, so this was the vision and we worked on this several years. And later on, uh, SanDisk was bought by WD, Western Digital, uh, mm -hmm. for 19 billion. Wow. They were bought specifically because of this product, the uh, the, the SSD, solid state drive. Um, uh, so I wasn't there anymore because I started StoreDot. And, you know, actually, when we started StoreDot, I, I thought about improving flash memory. And we worked on all kinds of materials that would improve the flash memory performance. Uh, but very quickly, with the interaction with Samsung that were interested also in the flash memory, but we saw also that we can fast charge uh, with such materials such as silicon and some of the organic com compounds that we have developed to work together with the silicon. So it was kind of, um, you know, um, 
I would say starting one thing, but eventually doing another thing mm-hmm. uh, at Stordot. So this was a very interesting uh, start. Where did, the, where did the name come from, Stordot? So we were actually storing bits in these nanodots, we call them, the, the, the nanoparticles. Uh, the, the profession, I would say the scientific name we gave it was nanodot. So uh, we are storing in the nanodot, so store dot. Uh, this is how we started. And to, uh, even today, we are storing energy in these nanoparticles. So it's actually still holding. The name holds very nicely. That's great. So talk about the industry, electric vehicle industry. So, you know, you, you're hands-on in it right now, living it, making a significant you know, impact in this industry. Um, if you had a magic wand and could make any change or two or some changes to how, how we are trying to transition from the ice, you know, combustion engines to electric vehicles. What do you see are some improvements that can be made or what would you do differently in in making this transition? I think uh, in terms of the private sector, we see much progress, uh, you know, and it was driven actually by Elon Musk and Tesla where they actually showed where the market can go and, and were like, uh, you know, uh, the highlight of, of where we should be uh, focused on. And, and this is true also for the infrastructure that they've put in place. And we see today the trend of uh, people uh, actually joining the uh, Tesla North American standard for the charging. But what is missing in this puzzle is the grid and the support from the governments and the, you know, the, the realization that we would need to almost double the energy production and hopefully it will come from clean energy sources in order to support this uh, uh, transition. We are talking about a 100% transition in about a decade. This is going to be, you know, one of the biggest revolutions ever, but the bottleneck will be the uh, supply of energy and the ability to actually distribute it uh, into different locations for for fast charging because slow charging at home is not relevant for everybody and maybe in North America more but if you think about uh, you know China or India or, or elsewhere they do not have the homes and they do not have the infrastructure to to support uh, the discharging so even on the street you cannot fast charge it has to be powerful charging stations that are replacing the uh, traditional uh, fuel pump and by the way, uh, BP, British Petroleum, was uh, one of our first biggest uh, strategic investors. Mm. Uh, they invested uh, uh, in 2016 also, 17. And they, they saw that, you know, for them, they would need to repurpose all their forecourts to be fast charging. Because otherwise, the, the model doesn't work. The, re- the retail of buying a coffee doesn't work if you stay there for two, three hours. Mm. But also the real estate. In the center of London, where you are, or New York or Paris, uh, it's so expensive. It has to be in and out in minutes. So, so this is a chicken and an egg kind of problem, because people didn't believe really until recently that you can really charge in minutes. Mm-hmm. Now that we have brought this solution to the table, a lot of work needs to start happening on the infrastructure and on the grid and and on the charging station. And this is a very difficult thing. Uh, uh, to do and it will take it will take a long time and a lot of money and it needs to come from the governments you know the private sector cannot support uh, this kind of, of infrastructure no that's good um, 
So another question, charging versus swapping. Mm. I kind of know, I think I already, this is kind of a, a, a probably a dumb question for you because I already know your answer, but like, what are your thoughts on fast charging, right? Just minutes versus like someone like say Neo who is investing a lot of money to develop these stations where you basically drive in the battery, the whole battery has changed and you drive out in a few minutes. Do you think that's, is that an option? I think, I think it makes a lot of sense in some uh, segments of the market. Uh, you know, actually Israel was the pioneer in swapping with a company called Better Place. Oh, um, we, yeah, there, there was a company here that uh, almost spent a billion dollars on swapping. Uh, so look it up. It's called Better Place. It, it's a big story for Harvard Business School to see something that is premature uh, and, and trying to build something uh, before their time. But um, I think it has place. And actually, personally, I also bought shares of uh, Neo because I thought, it, I thought it's a complementary solution. I lost a lot of money there, but I think it will come back. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's right where you have a confined environment where you can actually uh, invest sufficient of these swapping stations that are uh, enough for, for everybody. And also that it's a very consistent um, uh, design of the vehicle. So, so we can talk about fleets or taxis or delivery trucks, things like that it makes a lot of sense. Uh, because you can manage the inventory and you don't care who owns the battery and all that. But if it's my vehicle, I want to own the battery because it's, it's, it's half the vehicle and it's like the most sensitive thing. I don't want it to be swapped every day. So, so I think, uh, it, it's a solution for, for some segments of the market, but not for the main market. All right. So before we wrap up here, I just want to talk to you about, um, store dot so kind of where you guys are so where do you where do you what's next for store dot like what are the next steps and where do you i guess what's your vision five ten years down the road for the company so uh the next big thing is to uh, move to a more commercial uh, type of agreements as opposed to collaboration agreements that we have today and this will need to happen over the last the next uh, 12 to, to 18 months uh, with some of our uh, partners some of them are, are investors some are new as uh, maybe they'll become investors. We would need more money. Uh, maybe I'd say in a year or two, we still have sufficient funding for the R&D, but I want also to start investing in this captive capacity uh, that we have discussed. So what's next for us is move to the commercial agreements and close some of these captive capacity agreements uh, with the buildup of the supply chain that uh, we also talked about for the nano silicon, which is also very critical. Well, Doran, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. It's been fun. I've enjoyed every bit of it and learning more about the company and your background. And uh, hopefully we can do this again in the future and get another update. It would be my pleasure. Thank you very much.